It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's that time of year when the words detox and never again dominate conversations. When everyone is either doing dry January or wondering if they should. But it's not just the excesses of the festive season that we need to worry about. In 2021, a record number of people died in the UK as a result of alcohol consumption. According to the Office of National Statistics, there were almost 10,000 of these deaths, a figure that's 25% higher than in 2019. So, do we have a destructive relationship with alcohol? For those of us who are vulnerable to its excesses, it poses as a solution to a problem that itself is causing. One Times columnist has spoken to me candidly about his own struggle with alcohol. I was a bad husband and father for a few years. I was pretty absent. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today. How I stopped being a problem drinker. So my name is Robert Crampton. I'm a journalist with The Times. I've worked here for 31 years now, principally write columns. I also write leaders and I do celebrity interviews and pretty much whatever my boss tells me to, really. (laughs) And I'm on Times Radio once a week with Matt Chorley. And one of the things you've Mm. written about, Mm. very honestly, is alcohol. Yeah. When did you realise you had a problem with alcohol? Throughout my late 40s and 50s, I'm now 58, I was steadily drinking too much. But I thought I had it under control like everybody does, and to an extent I suppose I did. When I realised I didn't have it under control was in the summer of 2019, pre-COVID, three and a half years ago. So you were in your mid-50s? I was, yeah, 54, 55. My family had gone away. We got a house in France, and they were there. And I was, because I had to work, I was due to come a few days later. And I did have to work, but I also took the opportunity to drink to excess. One day I just drank an absurd amount and I fell over in the back garden, which would have been 
funny if it hadn't been so sad. And we got a little kind of rockery in our back garden, and I I failed to break my fall. So actually, the, my face came into sort of fairly fast contact with a rock, Ouch. and literally, literally rock bottom. I was kind of a bit, you know, bruised and cut. My wife, who already was worried about me, because I think she'd we'd had a couple of conversations on the phone where she detected that I was, you know, under the influence. She asked a family friend to come round and kind of check up on me, and he reported back that I was in no fit state. And she then took the decision to drive all the way home from France with the kids. That was the moment where not only did I realise I had a problem, but my children also realised I had a problem because we, my wife told them. And on that day, when you're drinking in secret on your on your own, mm. I mean, how much are we talking? How much did you drink before falling uh, face down into a rockery? That was probably the best part of a bottle of vodka. Yeah. Wow. In one yeah. day. A whole bottle would have been unusual, but certainly somewhere between a half and three quarters of a bottle was not unusual because your tolerance goes right up. When you are drinking regularly mm. and a lot, your your threshold for what you can drink is is frighteningly high as it turned out i'd hit my limit there with a bottle i couldn't function i couldn't even stand up but on not much less than that i could function not brilliantly but i could get you know i could get through 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 a day so you've literally hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. your family you know it's no longer a secret it's not something you're able to do without them knowing your children Mm. know yeah I mean, firstly, what was it like seeing them when they'd driven back from oh, France in a hurry? Yeah, it was pretty dreadful. We were a very close family, and they were, my daughter in particular, you know, who was very upset. I mean, I'm slightly embarrassed because I'd been prepared to see my wife upset over the previous years, although I'd felt guilty and all the rest of it hadn't been sufficient to stop me. Whereas seeing Rachel, my daughter, so upset, I was shameful, really. I felt shame, yeah, and... It's really undignified, apart from anything else. So what did you do, having decided this wasn't... this wasn't something you wanted to experience again? Well, I pretty much stopped drinking. I mean, that was three and a half years ago, and I've had a couple, more than a couple of relapses since then. Nothing on that scale. I mean, by relapse, I mean, I've had a drink. But I've always regretted it. I'm well beyond the point of thinking... Oh, I could cut down a bit. I could get back to moderate levels of drinking. I've foregone that that option. The temptation really is not... I mean, it's almost non-existent now. Occasionally you might get... If it's a really nice summer's evening or something and it's kind of a cocktail hour, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock or whatever, you might get a little pang. But you just get through that and by 9 o'clock you're fine. Going back to your childhood... What was the attitude to alcohol in the household? Did your parents it was drink? Not really, no. I mean, it was. Uh, this is the 70s. It was very much not the kind of middle-class drinking culture that we have now. I mean, my parents were, they weren't religious, but their family background was Methodism, which is, which is anti-drink. So certainly my dad would have grown up under that sort of influence. The, the actual religious part of that had, had been shed by the time I was around. But I think some of the morality and the ethics were still there. People like that would have regarded and did regard drink as a bit of an indulgence. I I certainly had the idea that 
there were people at school whose dads went to the pub a lot, and that was frowned upon. Mm. Almost for social reasons, there was a kind of shame attached, I think. Really? I don't think that's too strong a thing to yeah. say. It wasn't sort of the heart of the community, people gathered at the pub, it was more... No, no I mean, I think it was I think it was like that in, in working class neighbourhoods, and certainly like where my mum my grew up on a council estate in London, and the pub then would have been like that. But again, she would have made the distinction between what my grandma did call kind of respectable working class people who, oh. who worked and were very proper. You know, the whole kind of thing of the front parlour and everything. And, yeah. and and unrespectable, disrespectable, disreputable people who went to the pub. In a middle class neighbourhood, like the suburb that I grew up in, people were starting to go on foreign holidays. So they were discovering wine in the Mediterranean and wine bars were in the 80s were a thing, mm. you know, and all the time the secularization of society was obviously growing. Having come from a Methodist background, mm -hmm. you know, you've grown up in a household where it's frowned upon to be going down to the pub. Yeah. When do you have your first drink? And how, how does that feel? Yeah, things were beginning to change. I don't really remember my parents drinking at home other than at Christmas, or maybe, or they had parties or so on, but it wasn't wine with dinner. Having said that, there was a, there was a sideboard full of uh, liqueurs and booze. So to answer your question, I was about 14, and there was this little bottle of apricot brandy in there. And I had a sort of uh, experimental swig of it when I was maybe 14 or something. And then when you were 17, you're trying to get in the pub. So I had that usual sort of adolescent experience mm. of probably got drunk when I was 17 and then when I was at university kind of got really drunk a few times but it was not a central thing in my life days and weeks and possibly months would pass without me drinking yeah and that was true really going through my 20s and into my 30s really yeah but I was a very moderate drinker Nicola my wife when we when we got together she was in the city and she said she had a decent income and she was very much in that sort of 80s gin and tonic city thing afterwards she would drink much more than i mean i blame her because she <laughs> she was in the swing of that kind of work hard play hard the late 80s early 90s thing in the city so between then and, and then becoming a father when i was 32 i was working and it suited me to be quite abstemious and to work and then as a young father just to be doing that I think, you know, you're supposed to have this wild kind of boozy time as a student and as a, as a, in your 20s and, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, become much more sensible. I, done, I did the opposite. At what point? You know, you go from a very sensible 20s, mm. 30s into your 40s. What changed? What, I think what, what changed, the moment? there wasn't a particular moment, unlike when I stopped, when there was that moment in the rockery. There wasn't a particular moment. It was a fairly steady progression from, I think one is affluence. I think you can afford it. Once, yeah. once you're into your 40s. Another is your kids are, they're not grown up, but they're sort of, the hard years are, are over. They're into their teens. I know teenagers can be difficult, but it's not like that whole regimented bedtime, bath time, can't mm. do anything for themselves. Those years where you just can't afford to be drunk. <laughs> so you get a bit more time, you get a bit more money. It also coincided with a, with a very rapid gentrification of Hackney, where we live. And suddenly from nowhere to go, there's like nice little cocktail bars popping up everywhere yeah. on our local shopping street. And then it just accelerated from there. But I don't think there was one particular moment. I think 
my dad died in, in 2011, so I, when I was 47, and it'd be really easy and, uh, but I don't think entirely truthful to say that was a factor. I was already on the slippery slope by then. What that did have the effect of doing was, well, first of all, it made my life infinitely more stressful because suddenly I was sort of responsible for my mum in a way that hadn't been before yeah. from a distance. So I was starting to, I think I probably started to use alcohol as a means of, as a deliberate means of relaxation then in a way that I hadn't ever done before. Also, I think the absence of my dad removed that link with what we were talking about earlier of the sort of puritanical, immoral, we're not the sort of people who do this. Yeah. That childhood. Although obviously that had been changing and my dad, mm. by the end of his life, my dad was a, a social drinker. He wasn't some sort of hellfire yeah. pre preacher. He was changing with the, with the times as well. But what he did represent for me was a, was a link to that kind of morality, I suppose, which would have stopped me when he was alive. I think it would have, I, when you, in the sense that you can kind of sort yeah. of see somebody looking down on you. Or, I mean, I, with some people, I guess it's God. But with me, I suppose it was my ancestors, if you like, <laughs> including my dad, looking down, sort of thinking, well, you're making a real show of yourself. There's a reason that society attaches shame to things that uh, are bad for people. <laughs> and I'd lost that. I'd lost that sense of self-control, shame, self-discipline, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I think with my dad dying, apart, I mean, there's the, there was a the shock of it and the grief and the bereavement. But there was also that the embodiment of those, that way of being had gone. Also, there's also coupled with that, because it was my first experience really of having somebody very close to me die. There's also that sort of, oh, you know, we're all going to be dead in 30 years time anyway, kind of attitude. That's interesting. Which is a bit like during the war, there was a huge amount of casual sex during the Blitz because it was like, hey, let's party because the bomb could come tomorrow. Yeah. And so... Uh, that's not a particularly great analogy. I was going to have a load of casual sex, but <laughs> but it's like when you experience death and you see the finality of death for somebody with a close relative, most people, unfortunately, that happens to them probably before they're 47, which I was. There's a, there's a tendency, and, and it's a mistake, but it's an understandable mistake, to go, hey, let's just, let's party while we're here. Yeah, you want of, to live more intensely. Yeah, because none of it matters. You know, we're all going to be dust in 30 years anyway. So... And oh, you know, my, my dad's dead. I'll have a drink. But the biggest reason of all, I suppose, is is habit. For whatever reason, you you get into that state where you are drinking ten units, fifteen units, twenty units a day. For whatever put you there in the first place, the reality then is that that is your life. That is your routine. That is your habit. That's where you have to work at, at breaking. And I think, hopefully, that is what I now have done. But it takes. It, took me a long while to get into that situation and it's taken me quite a long while to get out of it. In your late 40s, when you mm. do start drinking much more than you had in the past, mm. were you aware of it? Did you notice that you were drinking more? Yeah, I do because I record it because I'm, because I'm a bit OCD and a bit of a sort of personal archivist. I keep records of a lot of things. Tell us, how does this play out on a daily basis? You've got a notebook where you write down... I write down every, what I eat... I mean, I've got a diary. Everything you eat. Yeah, I've got a diary, and which functions like a normal diary. But I also record my steps, my swimming, units of alcohol, as was, the food, the sleep, all sorts of other things. It interests me, 
and it kind of gives me an illusion of control over my life. <laughs> so you would know drinking. how many alcohol units you were consuming every day. Yeah. And you suddenly see that doubling? It went from what I would consider to be very moderate, which would be one or, or a fraction of one unit a day, i.e. seven or eight units of, or fewer in a week. And then it went, and that was from 20 years ago, and then it went to three or four a day, which is more than what the BMA say, but probably, you know, in the great scheme of things, not, mm. not desperately bad. So that's more like, say, 20 units a week. And then it went to around about the time, 2011, 2012, around the time my dad died, it went to about 50 a week, and then it doubled again where for a period, the latter half of the 2010s, by then it was probably averaging, it was about 100, maybe 100 a week, so that's 13, 14 a day. Wow, so and that's the actual a, recommended amount is? I'm pretty sure that the, the recommended for an adult now, male and female, from the BMA, is 14 units a week. And you were drinking that a day, 14? Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. So what do you do when you realise you're drinking too much? Coming up, Robert explains all. That's after a quick word from a colleague. I'm Louise Callaghan, a foreign correspondent for The Sunday Times. I work from the front line of international politics and war, bringing you stories from Ukraine to Syria and Yemen. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot of people will probably be shocked to realise that the guidelines have changed and the NHS now recommends drinking no more than 14 units of alcohol a week. But while you're doing a mental tally to see how you compare, for Robert, he had years of journals showing him exactly how much he was drinking every single day. I was aware that it was, you know, a bit too much and then way too much and then 
ridiculously too much. And financial elements came in as well because it starts to be, if you're drinking that much, it starts to get yeah. expensive. Health and vanity as well. I mean, you know, you start to, you, you, you put on weight, not just because of the booze itself, but because your self-discipline about food goes out the window when you're drunk. So you eat, you eat rubbish. Mm. So for all those reasons, I was thinking, oh, well, this has got to stop soon. I was sort of like an observer of my own life. And it wasn't that I didn't get lots of prompts. I mean, I got, you know, my wife was saying, you know, she noticed it's getting yeah. too much, you know, or, but for whatever reason, which I haven't fully analyzed yet, I just didn't stop. And I found, I suppose, that I could function, not brilliantly. Was it affecting your daily life? You know, sort of apart from the weight and not necessarily being very careful about what you're eating. Yeah, it was. It was, How I was, it, it was affecting a mo- your behavior. I, was, I think I was shutting myself off from people. I'm naturally a little bit like that way inclined anyway. Mm. And it exacerbated that. I was, you know, I was a bad, a pretty poor husband and father for a few years. Not disastrously so, as evidenced by the fact that, I mean, my marriage is intact and we're, we're a happy family again. But for a, maybe for a few years, I was pretty absent. I was physically there, but I wasn't really emotionally, psychologically there. And I think my wife... Nicola took a, a huge, I mean, I thought, oh, if I'm just doing my job, then I, I'm doing enough. But I think she took a huge burden with the house and the children and, and everything else, everything really. Yeah. I mean, all, all I did was work and drink. It's that cliche when people say, oh, there, you know, there, there was, there's three of us in this marriage, you know, there's me, him and, the, and a bottle of vodka. And definitely, I never really understood what that meant, but I think I do now. And you're prioritizing this, what has become an addiction, what has moved from being a habit to an addiction. You're prioritizing that over everything else. And the secretive behavior, the, yeah. you know, the sort of relegating other bits of life, you're just working and drinking. Yeah. I mean, in a way, did that spur the problem? Does it affect your confidence? Does it make you need more alcohol as a, as a crutch because of yeah, I think there is, aren't working. Yeah, there is a circularity to it. For those of us who are vulnerable to its excesses, it gets its hooks into you. It poses as a solution to a problem that itself is causing. Yeah. <laughs> you feel a bit rubbish because you are drinking and physically you don't feel great. That's been caused by the alcohol, but what, you know, I feel a bit down, so I know a good way to cheer myself mm. up. So yeah, there's a real circularity to it. It's a mood-altering mm. substance. People do it to lubricate social occasions, don't they? Very successful at doing that. But for me, it was no longer successful. It would be, it become a, the enemy of social interaction. I became a, a man that, if I met myself now as I was then, yeah. between sort of, say, 10 years ago and five years ago, I wouldn't have had any respect for myself. Were there social pressures on you when you did decide to stop you know where people like but you're the life and soul uh, aren't you no i think i felt that pressure a little bit myself yeah. because I, when i was in a sort of sweet spot between not drinking at all and drinking way too much i was a bit the life and soul for mm. a while it didn't probably didn't last very long and it certainly probably didn't last more than a couple of hours into any given evening because after that you'd be a drunk and nobody likes them there comes a point if you're at a social event and you're not drinking where you just don't want to be there any longer, you know? Mm. Unless it's like close friends and family, so obviously that's different. People are much more tolerant of difference, I think, than they're given 
credit for. So no, I haven't really felt that social pressure. Having said that, I probably avoid those situations now more than I used to. So for you, you know, all of this happened just before the pandemic. Yeah. You're immediately into lockdown, which for a lot of people is a trigger. Yeah. For you, looking back now, what has this last few years, you know, since that moment in the rock, yeah. what has it been like? Oh, it's been a massive improvement. My life has improved hugely for not drinking. I feel like I'm kind of returning to the person that I was, elements of my personality that were good things about me that I'd suppressed or and perhaps even lost for a while, I'm rediscovering them and generally just feeling good about myself. Whereas I think for many, many years, I didn't. I don't want to get evangelical about it because I think the majority of people drink perfectly sensibly and it's a perfectly enjoyable one of life's pleasures. The reason I didn't say the vast majority is because I think there is actually quite a significant minority who who don't actually mm. control their or aren't drinking for enjoyment, who can't take it or leave it, and whose personality and behaviour is probably adversely affected, and their finances as well. So I think there is a significant minority of people, particularly middle-aged men, who seriously think about laying off the booze or cutting down. Mm. And I say that because somebody whose life has been immeasurably improved by doing just that. Yeah. Do you feel like you've been lucky? Yeah, I think I've been really lucky, primarily in that my kids still talk to me and my wife hasn't left me and I haven't been sacked. So, yeah, I feel lucky from that point of view. And from a health point of view, I, feel, I mean, I had a checkup the other day. I came back, you know, liver, kidneys, not just good, but sort of really good. Yeah. And... Uh, we were laughing about it at home and my daughter said, you know, you really got away with it. And I said, I said, yeah, I think I have. She said, you know, you're not Superman, you know, you're not Superman. Don't start thinking kind of some kind of genetic freak. You're just lucky that there hasn't been any ongoing damage. Absolutely, I feel lucky. Yeah, I really do. What would your advice be to people who feel like they might have a problem but don't haven't started to do something about it? What I did for years, I mean, didn't in the end, it didn't work for me, but I think it could work for lots of people, is cut down. I mean, first of all, face the problem. Be truthful to yourself. Keep a journal. <laughs> keep, write it down. Write it down for a few, yeah, keep a diary. Write it down for a few weeks and see how it adds up. You'd probably be surprised and appalled. Is there anything that you wish somebody had said to you back then? You know, that day before you get to the rockery, <laughs> what do you wish somebody had told uh, you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wish, I, I guess my wife tried and various people, I think people, they're very wary of telling other people how to live. And I, I guess I can see that on a personal level. Yeah, I think maybe people that I sort of respect who are maybe older than me, I think that helps. Thought about saying something but didn't, I maybe wish they had. Yeah. But that's not to blame anybody. I mean, no. the, the fault is mine. But I think in general, we shouldn't be too as reluctant as we are to offer a bit of advice or a bit of a warning. I think you have to feel in life, you have to behave as if you're being judged a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we people used to do that because they thought God was ju judging them. Yeah. And I think by and large, that was a really bad idea. Uh, but 
one of the advantages of it was it kept people's behavior in check. Yeah. And I, th I think you have to sort of invent that for yourself nowadays. You have to kind of have a code of conduct which says, would I want to see myself in this state if I yeah. could sort of look down? And the answer is no. I think other people, older people, people you're close to, people you respect, they can provide that. Just guidance, wisdom. We've, we've sort of gone very against that. And I think we need to get a little bit of that back. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Robert Crampton, columnist at The Times. If you or anyone you know is struggling with alcohol addiction, then there are some useful websites and helplines in the description notes of this episode. And you can find all of Robert's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producer today was Will Rowe. The executive producers were Kate Ford and James Shield. And sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.